Hi there, Barney. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Steve. I'm Good. doing well. Good. Well, last time we, well, we've been following a discussion on some of the characteristics of effective practitioners of church planting mm-hmm. movements. Uh, so it's a bit of a mouthful, but it's really just what are some of the practical uh, activities that uh, help someone uh, be effective in, in fueling church planting movements. And last yep. time we talked about the sort of headspace they need to be, the things they need to know. Uh, yes. What else characterizes people that are uh, effective in CPM ministry? Sure. Okay. Well, the last topic we talked about was head, as in, so knowing. Um, today, I think uh, the next thing I'd be good to talk about is heart, which refers to being. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really important that um, that that I think that people understand that God uses uh, people first before he uses methods. Um, and so it, it's very common that uh, people that God has used uh, to see church planning movements happen, they, they are people that, oh, that, that um, I guess they have similar characteristics or qualities. Uh, I mean, everybody is different. You can't get everybody. Everybody's not exactly the same, but they do have similar qualities, which refers to this whole heart idea. And um, so that's really important to look at uh, in terms of the being, the kind of person we are. Okay. Well, what what does yep. that look like when you when you think of some of the things you've had to learn, or some of the qualities you've seen in others? What what does it look like? Sure. Okay. Well, um, in terms of this area, I think the the, 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 the big one, or the or the, the main one, I think that's very common is um, uh, about being passionate about reaching the lost and uh, doing whatever it takes to see people saved. Uh, this is this is very important, and I think if, if people don't have a passion for the lost, then there's too many other things that are going to get in the way of um, of stopping people getting out there and sharing the gospel. I remember years ago hearing a very experienced um, uh, CPM trainer say um, to, uh, to to myself and to many others who were with him at the time, uh, he asked the question, how many of your people today have heard the gospel? So now the people you're targeting, whether it be a city or an unreached people group or a neighborhood, asking the question, how many have heard the gospel today? And that should be something that really is a driving, uh, something that drives our hearts uh, in terms of getting out and sharing the gospel and training as many as possible to share the gospel. Because at the end of the day, if people aren't hearing the gospel, um, then, then people aren't going to get saved. And in terms of a passion, uh, I think it's, it's quite a challenge because for, uh, for a lot of, lot of us, um, you know, passion doesn't come naturally. Um, you know, passion isn't necessarily something you can really work up and mm. try to get a passion. Uh, but as I've um, found in my own life and as I encourage others to do, um, really try, try to spend uh, time amongst people who are really lost. Uh, if we think of Jesus, you know, he see, when he was um, Amongst the lost, it was then that he he, know, he saw that the crowds, the scriptures say, he saw the crowds and that they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, mm. he he 
was able to say that because he was amongst the lost, those who were very needy people. Uh, it's very hard to get a passion for the lost if we are if we're at home or if we're in our office or or wherever, and we don't spend time time getting out there amongst people. It's very easy to forget what lost people are really like. And I think this is particularly true the longer we've been Christians, uh, the more easy it is to forget that, that people really do need Jesus. And um, particularly if you're in ministry, um, uh, most people in ministry have, have no Christian friends, or if they have, uh, sorry, no non-Christian yeah. friends. Um, they've either got no non-Christian friends or very few non-Christian friends, or maybe some non-Christian acquaintances. So, so and, Grant, what, what you've observed in, in yourself and others is there's a real heart motivation here. This is not just, you know, I, I need to fulfill a certain, you know, statistic for my ministry report, or this is not just a matter of demographics and numbers, but, um, but people who, who really do have compassion for lost sure. people, just as Jesus did. And sure. in terms of, of where that's coming, one of the things is they're, they're obedient just to be amongst people. Yeah, uh, sure. So they're, they're, they're getting God's heart in the midst of the people that he's sent them to. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, you've got to, you've got to get God's heart for the lost. And, um, you know, if, if, if anyone listening to this is thinking, well, I just don't have a heart for the lost, you know, I think it's really good to, um, to, to look at our hearts and see where we, where we are and how we feel about lost people. And, um, and if you do want a heart for the lost, then then get amongst lost people. Purposely get out of your comfort zone and, and go to where lost people are. I mean, you just simply in a workplace environment, um, sitting in the lunchroom or wherever people spend their lunch, listening to what people talk about. I mean, that in itself is you can hear the lost lostness of people. Um, I remember this struck me once uh, many years ago when I was. Um, out in a rural area in the, in the country we live in, and I was up in a village, and uh, uh, we were uh, we were there to to share the gospel. And when uh, we left the, the following morning, we left uh, left this village, and it was about I think it was about eight o'clock in the morning. Um, all the elderly women had just started drinking for the day, so drinking alcohol. Drinking alcohol, so they just started drinking alcohol, and it was only eight o'clock, so they'd all be drunk easily within half an hour. And apparently, this was a very, very common practice in this particular area. And and uh, I was just really challenged by that, and uh, my heart very stirred to see the lostness of these people, where um, that that amongst this particular ethnic group, uh, just drunkenness and alcoholism is a real problem because there is no hope and there is no purpose, and so that's how they start their day. And I know that that's very common right throughout the world. Um, you know, this this kind of thinking, whether it be alcohol or other things, this whole idea of the lostness and the lack of purpose and the need to really see people in the state and to experience people and try to get inside people's worlds to to get a passion. Yeah. For the lost, um, very very important. Okay, what what else uh, do you see that the the qualities that God builds into the life of someone with a heart for church planning movements? 
Sure. Um, the next thing I would say is the importance of staying focused and not getting distracted. Uh, you know, there, there are many good things that can come along, and um, but uh, in terms of church planning movements, um, it's very, very important that uh, that if you want to see a CPM happen, you, you've got to stay focused and, and can't get distracted. Um, the, you know, the reason is, is that... Uh, to, to see a CPM happen, you don't really need to do um, stacks and stacks and stacks of stuff. Not, I, I don't think that's really true. You've just got to do um, a, uh, certain things, but you've got to do them well, and you've got to do them repeatedly well. And if you get those things re done repeatedly well, and you're investing your time into what I would call high-value activities – then then um, then things will happen. Now, at the end of the day, it's, it is still up to God. Um, and CPMs are a God thing, but we're more likely to see the Holy Spirit break through in people's lives because he works with people, he works with us, um, if we're doing the things that really will produce fruit, high-value activities, and that only comes about through staying focused. Um, and, and Graham, we'll, in, in a few minutes, we'll talk about what some of those high-value activities are. But sure. In terms of staying focused, your advice to people would be learn to say no to good things. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I would say uh, learn to say no to good things. That, that's very, very important because there's always things that come along. Um, particularly if you're in full, to use the phrase, full time ministry, you're a paid Christian worker. Well, you can spend so much time doing all kinds of good stuff, and it is good. And. Um, and uh, if, 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 if God wants you to be doing all the other good stuff, then that's great. Um, but if, if you really have a heart for, for CPMs, um, it's really, really important to say no. And in fact, um, the, the best uh, CPM practitioners are the ones who are able to say no. Um, so often, uh, I was saying to someone the other day, it's, it's often not a case of what you what you do, it's more a case of what you don't do. It's what you stop doing and just focus in on the things that really do do, do produce fruit or high-value activities. So that means you, you may have to uh, disappoint some uh, important people in your life, I would imagine, uh, colleagues or supervisors who really would like you to do a whole range of things. But you're saying the people who are effective in fueling church planning movements they align their lives around that a hundred percent. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yep, yep, hundred um, percent. Because you know, it, it takes it takes uh, a lot of energy. It takes a lot of um, a lot of focus. Problems will always come up, and so there needs to be. You've got to invest. Yeah, you've got to invest your full attention into it. You know, I often think if you only if you only do it half time, you're only or you know part time focus on this. You probably only, I would say you're not. You may only get like part time results. You'll get some results, but it's hard to really see a CPM take off if you're only sort of doing it part time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What What else have you noticed in the lives of the people who are who are effective? Sure. Okay. Um, the need uh, to be a prayer. Very important. I think this just goes without saying. Um, really, um, prayer is important for any anything, any particular kind of work. Prayer is really the foundation by which we build stuff on. Um, prayer in our own lives. 
uh, corporate prayer, uh, particularly uh, fervent prayer, just really praying and focusing in on stuff. Um, yeah, so, I, Grant, I, I, I might to... just stop you there. Can Can you think of an example, either in your own own life or ministry, or something you've observed that just sort of fleshes that out? What that? Yeah. Looks like? Okay. Sure. Um, okay. Well, in in the first um, first uh, CPM, we we got going. Um, uh, we had when we first started, we had ten thousand people praying for the work every Saturday night, praying and fasting, and uh, and these these ten thousand people were from two two main groups of churches that we were partnering with to send workers to a particular area, and they both committed themselves as as a as a group of churches to make sure that every Saturday night they were praying and fasting for the work. Um, now, obviously, when you when you get that kind of prayer happening, then then there will be results, you know, because mm. things do come about through prayer. Um, it's very easy, I think, though, when you hear those kind of numbers, uh, to for people to get a little discouraged and think, well, I, I can never come up with 10,000 people. And, and, you know, that's, that's true. Um, it's very difficult. But... Um, but at the same time, I, I still believe that it's not necessarily how many people, um, even though we had a lot. I think it's more the the type of praying, Greg, getting people who are really just going to um, uh, grab a hold of something and just pray and pray until you until the breakthrough comes. And that can be a, a, just a half a dozen people. It can be a dozen people. Um, some of our most effective breakthroughs have come when we've seen people really zero in on prayer. I think of when we, our very first church that got planted um, uh, some years ago, um, the, it's now the most, uh, the leader of that church is the most effective uh, leader and overseer and trainer of all these bunches and bunches of, uh, of other churches. But when the church planters first went into his village, he, he bet them up and drove them out of the village. Um and, and I remember sending out a prayer request saying, wow, our first church planters have just been beaten up really badly and badly and driven out of the village. You need to really pray for this guy that he'll turn his heart around, um, really, really grab a hold of this guy in prayer that he will turn his heart around and he'll become a, a, a believer and someone who'll be really effective. And, well, that's what happened. And, you know, it really didn't take that long um, when people really grabbed a hold of it in prayer. We saw a big turnaround. Um, I think of prayer in our own lives. Um, the first year when we came to this country, uh, I spent most of my time just praying and fasting. And um, and it was in the second year that we really saw God begin to be uh, launch our work. Um, and I really believe that was through prayer and fasting, just uh, listening to God, being, asking God where we should be going, what we should be doing. And again, uh, seeing breakthrough come come in that regard, very very important. Mm. Okay. Now, uh, what what else do you see, Grant? Okay, uh, I would say in terms of heart, um, the need to be bold and uh, not to be afraid of persecution, um, which means, of course, that you get in the area of of not being afraid to take risks. Uh, the often I remember someone saying again that the, a very wise fellow who said you, you know who the pioneers are because they're the ones with the arrows in their backs, mm. and um, 
So in other words, they're getting shot by their own people. And, um, and, and I think that's really common that if, if you're going to take a risk and step out, you're always going to have people who will tell you um, that it's not going to work. And you'll always have people that will run you down and you'll always have people that will tell you why this won't work or that won't work. Um, I remember when we first started, um, I was told that by many people. Um, people who were the leader at the time were saying, you're wasting your time with that. It's not going to work. Uh, you shouldn't be spending your time there. You should be spending it here. And I, I believe strongly that God had said, no, I should be pursuing a certain course of action. And then and then God went in and bore much fruit. And um and then it's funny, the, the funny was, thing was this leader came back to me and said, oh, that's a great thing you did. You know, it was right. It was, it was, it was, it was great. And um, so he'd done a complete U-turn. But if I, I know if I'd listened to him in the first place, we would not have seen the thousands that have, it came to Christ. Um, now, the challenge is, of course, you can easily be a bit, uh, you've got to be sure you're doing the right thing because you could easily come across as being a bit rebellious. But um, the key the key really is to be bold and not not to be afraid of what others think and to and to try something different. Um, in our in our place where we live, uh, in terms of the whole persecution side of things, um, it's changed a lot over the years. But persecution, uh, in various forms, is a very real thing. And the most effective people that we've seen. Um, in terms of leaders that we've raised up and, and church planters are the ones who in some shape or form have experienced persecution. Um, I like to look for people who have spent some time um, in some shape or form in trouble with the police um, for preaching the gospel uh, because this tends to mean that uh, they've got, um, what's the word, uh, their faith has gone deep. Uh, they uh, experience the reality of maybe either being locked up for their faith or that they um, have had to had to face some very real trials in terms of their faith. And, and people like that are usually very, very good. They're willing to give it everything. Um, in the West, of course, you don't get that kind of situation, but I think the same principle could apply in terms of trying to raise up you know, or train and, or look for people who aren't really afraid to of what other people might think of them and not be afraid if people uh, run them down or whatever. Those are the kind of people that, that I've found often will go ahead and do, do some really great things because they're really wanting to step out on the edge and allow God to use them. Mm. I remember you telling me once that uh, often it's um, Westerners that are teaching new believers in, in situations of persecution to be fearful rather than bold. Um, do you want to tease that out a bit? Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, this was a very vivid experience, I remember. Um, uh, again, many years ago, we hadn't long got got to the country we're in, and I was working with a, within a foreign team, all, all good folks, all good, good missionaries. Um, and we had on our team a, a local guy married to it, to, to an overseas, a, a, a foreign person. And this local guy, he was a national. He, he was working in with us and he was supporting the work and what we were doing and playing his part. Um, but I could always see he was always, always a little bit frustrated. And then one day, it's sort of like the, um, it just, it not really snapped, but it just got too much from one day and he just 
set everyone down and he said to us all as, as missionaries, he said, you know, you missionaries, you make terribly weak disciples. And of course, everyone was stunned by that comment. And, uh, and was like, what, we said to him, like, what do you mean? And he said, well, you're so afraid of getting caught. You're so afraid of persecution. You're so afraid that you're going to get kicked out of the country and lose your visa that you, you, that, that you pass this fear and this timidness and lack of boldness onto people who get saved. And so essentially, you start raising up these fearful disciples. Mm. And I thought about that a lot. And I thought, you know, he's right. When I looked at the, the local believers who are often a little bit afraid, those when there was a crackdown with the police in the area, um, our practice was as a foreign team, we would stop meeting. Um, and um, yet, yet other national believers wouldn't do that. They would continue meeting, even though they knew there was a police crackdown on. They would just change where they were meeting. But the foreigners, they'd talk the local guys that we were discipling to stop meeting because it wasn't safe. And I've often thought a lot about that. And from that, I remember from that time on, I made a conscious decision to say, I'm not going to be fearful. Um, I'm not going to do things, but um, that are going to portray to local believers the need to be afraid of getting caught. Um, you know, we, if we look in the book of Acts, um, when, when the persecution broke out, the, the prayers of the early church were saying that they prayed for boldness, mm. and then they went and shared, then they went and preached the gospel. There was never a pulling back. There was never a la- there was never a fear. Mm. And um, whether it be in this country or whether it be in a number of other countries around the world um, where God is doing amazing things, there's always, to some shape or form, some degree of persecution. And the guys that God uses, whether it be men or women, are always the ones who have experienced persecution. I mean, that's how it was in the book of Acts. Uh, that's how it'll be today. There's, there's no different. And um, if, if we don't really come to grips with that, whatever that looks like in our situation, then we're always going to be timid. There'll always be a sense of being afraid to take risks, which means more than likely, probably a, not, a, lot, a lot won't happen. Uh, typically, a, a lot won't happen. So the situation is different in, say, most of the West, but there's still a um, an underlying sort of pressure that we feel to be moderate, to be silent about the faith, uh, just let your life speak, not your words. And what you're saying is um, if we're ever going to see church planning movements, it's going to be because... Um, People are willing to stand up, be counted for their faith, and and risk rejection, um, and yeah. maybe just personal rejection in in a more sort of sedate environment, or it could be severe persecution. But uh, there there won't be a church plan. I, I think someone, uh, one of our common friends, told me he he'd never seen a church planning movement without persecution. Yeah, that that's probably very very likely the case. I mean, it's a very common common thread, and um, you know, even as you say, in the West, it, it will look different. Um, but um, I know each time I go back to the country where I'm from, um, I you know I really appreciate what I see in terms of a lot of aspects of the church in the West, but there's one obvious thing that strikes me every time, and that is this whole thought of how 
it's almost like the culture has dictated the the, the culture of, of um, of the world, if you like, has really influenced what the church has, has become. And um, I, I understand, I know it's a very big topic where the church has to try to be uh, contemporary and try to uh, try to appeal to non-Christians so they walk in the door, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think the challenge, and I think there's validity in, in some of that, but I think the challenge is, is that it's lost a lot of its boldness in the West. I think it's lost a lot of its uh, being different. It's lost a lot of its being salt and light. Um, I think there's a lot there, and um, it's. I sometimes think it's a bit like, and this might sound tough, but a bit like a frog, you know, in the in the boiling water. You know, it's slowly just bubbling away, not really realizing the, the predicament it's in. And Because when you compare churches and how your average Christian, the life of a Christian in the country I live or in, in many other places around the world, that there is a stark difference. And, um, yeah, now you might get a few comments on this one. I'm not sure, Steve. But, um, again, it's just as an observation I make because I come and go a lot from, from the West. And uh, it's, it's an obvious one. Um, I, I want to add further too that uh, that we need to, in some shape or form, be able to need to be able to experience or must have experienced some measure of persecution ourselves. I think in order to be able to to teach this well to others, um, you can't really teach. You need to not be afraid of persecution, or you got to be bold of ourselves. Obviously, if we're not doing that, or we ourselves have not experienced it. Um, uh, I remember. Uh, Many years ago, the police um, were looking for me, and um, we. Up to that point, I had this theoretical knowledge of what it was like to be looked for by the police or, or some some persecution, but I never actually experienced it. And then, but it wasn't until we had to leave our home, and we had just at the time our kids were little, and we had to move from place to place, and. Um, uh, the uh, folks, uh, the folks in these, uh, folks from our church back, back, uh, the country we're from, um, they were encouraging us to leave the country because they knew the situation. I said, no, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay in country because I want to model to our local guys that, um, that when persecution comes, we don't need to, um, we need to be wise, of course, but, um, for them, they can't just up and leave the country, so I wasn't going to just up and leave mm. the country. So we we uh, we worked it, so we stayed in country, and I kept in touch with people who knew what was going on. Um, but it spoke volumes to the folks that that we were um, that we were leading uh, our church planters, and and it was from that experience that I myself uh, realised what it means in a very small way, because it is very very small in terms of being a foreigner compared to a local person in our context, but in a small way understanding what it means to some shape or form have some measure of suffering uh, for the sake of Christ. Yeah. So it's very important. Okay. Are there anything else in this whole area of, of heart and, and being? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'd say that knowing the power of the Holy Spirit is very important in someone's life. Uh, look at the, look at the book of Acts, uh, look at Jesus ministry the gospel is always accompanied by signs and wonders, um, and uh, it's, it's a very again it's a very common theme with church planning movements uh, that signs and wonders, in some shape or form, um, will be present. Um, 
for some church planning movements, it, it's there's many signs and wonders. Others, not so many, but but it is it is common. And we too have seen our most effective people that have become key leaders and church planners are always ones that they themselves have, in some personal way, have experienced the reality of the Holy Spirit in their own lives um, first before before it flows out to to other people. And that okay. can look different depending on people's background or church, but it's very, very important. So they've, they're, one of the things you, you look for in, in leaders within a church planning movement is that openness to the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Definitely. Open to the presence and power. Yep, that, that's said very well. Um, what, we, can you think um, of an try- example? Oh, go on. Okay, well, I'll just, uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, in terms of, um, in, in the first church planning movement we were involved with, um, we, would, we would find that the people, we would bring people to, to a location for a week and give them some basic training. Um, but also a very, very important component in our training was that the need to be um, set free from things of their past. And for, it's a, for, for a lot of the people that we were involved with, they were involved with all kinds of idol worship and stuff like that. But it doesn't just need to be idol worship. It can be anything from our past can end up before we become believers, can have a hold on our life, various sins or demonic stuff, whatever it is. And so we would always have a time where we would really pray for people to be set free, um, confession of sin and confession of things of the past, and really, and then just pray for them and ask God to, to basically clean them up and, and make sure that they were really free to serve God. And we found that the people that had really experienced God, really touching them in this way, in very practical ways, um, encountering God, were the ones who went on to be the best evangelists and the best church planters. And... It even worked itself out in terms of um, persecution. Um, the people who seem to be able to stand the most under persecution are the ones who have experienced the reality of, of God in their lives first, um, the reality, the power of the Holy Spirit, so that they're able to stand under persecution. And I think that's true regardless of, of where anybody is. Um, the need to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to be effective witnesses is a real key. And that often came about through uh, just starting where people were at in their need uh, to see their lives restored, praying for people in that, and and seeing God set people free so that they experience for themselves what it is uh, to know the power of God in their life to overcome, might have been alcohol or idolatry or whatever it might have been. Sure, that's right. Definitely, definitely. Because you know, at the end of the day, um, uh, that you know, the, the gospel is 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 there is a real power aspect to, to the gospel, and um, people don't just want to, um, or even won't even be willing to believe just a set of ideas or some good thoughts. You know, that that or some good. Uh yeah, whatever. Some good, some good thoughts, or even a, a way of life. You know, they're not necessarily looking for that because there's many alternatives out there. Um, 
whether it be other religions or whether it be new age or whether it be whatever it is there's a lot of really good a lot of options out there and for some people they can seem all very appealing all very good and so people need a I often believe that people are looking for a reality of God a, a tangible experience of God now again we have to be careful how far we go with that but at some point they need to be able to um, taste and see that the Lord is good. There has to be some reality of God for them. And the people who themselves have experienced that are able to more likely be able to pray for others to experience the same thing. They're more likely to have the faith to see people healed. They're more likely to have the faith to, to, to be used by God to cast demons out of people if they themselves have either experienced that or in some shape or form had a similar kind of experience. Um, Again, it sort of comes down to a modeling idea, whereas if people themselves have, 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 have themselves experienced first, they're able to model that to others. And this has been something we've seen a lot over and over again. Mm. Okay. Anything else uh, in this whole area of who they are? Yeah, sure. Um, I think one of the most uh, critical things um, is being able to listen to God and uh, and then to have the, the faith, really, to obey what God says to us. Uh, all of our, um, uh, I guess we call them church planning projects or church planning movements that have, have, have come about have come just simply through through prayer, uh, listening to what God has said, and then, then acting on those things. Uh, I know uh, to give some tangible um, examples is, I was saying the very first year that when we landed in this country, you know, I really, we obviously we had to learn the language. Uh, we we had to get used to living in a new culture. Um, there's some huge, huge upheavals. So I was just praying and fasting a lot of the time uh, through the whole process. And in the beginning of the second year, um, we had a short-term team that was uh, was planning to visit us um, from our home church. And before they were to come, I remember my wife and I praying and saying, Lord, what, what should they be doing? What should we do when they, with them when they come? And God spoke very clearly to us saying that we needed to take them to a village and that he was going to heal the sick um, through, this, through this visit and our ministry would begin from there. And so uh, when the team arrived, I said to them, okay, next week we're all heading up into the mountains and we're going to go to this one particular village that I, uh, I knew, knew of, the person who was from that village. Mm. We're going to trust the Lord that he's going to use us to pray for the sick and I believe that the ministry is going to start uh, from that. And God, and um, so I had a great conviction and we believed that this was, was what was going to happen. So I told this to the team and they're all freaked out saying, oh, but we've never done this kind of thing before, etc., etc." And I said, look, don't worry about it. Um, and this is God's thing, you know. We just, we just, just obey what He wants us to do, and we'll go do it. And, and God, we've got to leave the results to God. Leave it up to God. So that's what we did. We headed up into the hills, up into, got off the bus about eight hours later, and walked three hours up a riverbed to this village. And we literally walked into this village, and within a few moments, uh, two old ladies came in and they said to us that uh, they've come to be healed. And we thought, well, that was pretty quick. So we said, uh, just a moment. And uh, we gathered together, had a quick prayer meeting. Then we invited these two old ladies into this room and we prayed for them. And one old lady particularly, God really touched. And she 
testified of healing of all these aches and pains and hurts were gone that she'd previously had. Well, word spread quickly throughout the village, and that, that, that night and the rest of the following nights, we had many people in the village who'd come to hear the gospel. Um, but what was most important through that time is that a guy was watching the whole time, watching what was happening. It was well known for not um, for not believing and opposing the gospel, mm. but he couldn't deny what had, what had happened, and he gave his life to Christ, and he's now my most effective uh, leader and co-worker in this part of the country has seen thousands of people come to Christ, hundreds of churches planted. And, and that, that was just a very simple thing where we listened to God and we just obeyed what he said and we left the results to God. So it's very, very important to be able to learn this skill. And I guess you had to go out on a limb. Yeah, yeah, really out on a limb. Um, people said, well, that the team said, well, we, we, don't, we don't know if we want to do that. I said, well... If you don't want to do it, too bad. I'm going by myself. I'm just going to go because I believe this is what God's telling me to do. And so, yeah, it was a real step of faith, but God God came through. Um, another example is uh, some of my co-workers came to me one day and said, well, all this training we're doing is good and that's good, but we really believe we should be targeting an area where they've never heard the gospel before. Uh, these are some local co-workers. And I said, okay, um, come back. Uh, in a few days time and I'll tell you what we should be doing so I prayed I said Lord I, I literally opened up the map of, of the province we lived in and I said Lord where should we go where should the where should we begin planting churches and um, this could, might sound all very subjective but um, I believe God showed me where and even the village where we were to start in, the area and where we'd have seen the first workers. And so a couple of days' time, I told our workers, we rounded up a whole lot of guys, and off we sent them. We sent 16 guys, eight teams of two, to this particular area. area. And sent the, 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 the village I believe we should plant the first church in was the one I talked about before, where the guy actually bet up the church planters and drove them out. Mm. Um, but I told them, no, just go back, go back. And so they went back. And um, they planted the planted the church, and now we've seen hundreds of churches come to come into being in that particular area. Another time, and leading up to that time, was a story where uh, I was on the bus with my Chinese co-worker, and we were looking for a particular area of where to plant churches, and. Uh, we didn't really know where we were going. All I knew is that we should be on this particular bus and God would lead us. Uh, we got on this bus and we were traveling up through the mountains and we got to the end of the road and everybody got off except for my coworker and I who was sitting at the back of the bus. And we thought, man, where, where, are, we, where are we? We had no idea. We were way up in the mountains. Everyone had got off. We're at the end of the road and everyone had got off and we were just sitting there thinking, okay, Lord, what are we going to do now? And a guy at the front of the bus, he didn't get off, but he turned around and walked to the back of the bus, and he said to us, are you guys Christians? And we said, yeah, why? And he said, well, I'm a Christian too, and last night I was praying. I live over the mountain. Last night I was praying, and God told me to get on this bus where I'd meet two people and I was to tell them where they were to be going. And so this this guy was able to tell us the area we were to be uh, needing to find because we couldn't find the area, and he was able to lead us to this area. And as a result, thousands are now have come to Christ in that particular area. So these are two very, um, I guess, simple illustrations of the, of how I personally have learned how to pray, listen to God, and then to, in faith, get out on a limb and obey Him. And it um, doesn't mean we get it right every time, um, but I've found that most times as I've 
gone by in, in ministry experience have learnt to hear God's voice and then have the faith to step out and obey. Well, Grant, thank you for that. Uh, you know, it's a good um, follow-on from our first discussion about sort of grappling with the right ideas and getting your mind into the right place and the principles. Uh, yeah. And now you've gone to the heart. And um, uh, looking forward to our next discussion, I think uh, we'll be talking about, well, okay, your head and your heart are in the right place right place what what do your hands need to do what what practically do you need to do and sure uh, we'll we'll talk about that um next time we get to catch up probably two or three weeks time so that'll um, be great thanks very much mate we'll uh good okay catch Steve, you later. good talking bye okay mate bye-bye um